So Mark chapter 8. So in November, you guys blessed us with probably the greatest gift that we've ever received in our life. Going uh, to Bethel's conference, getting to take a family vacation and spend time there, recharge our batteries. Um, we've done a lot of hard things in the last three years. And then even before that, we, we did some hard things at the bridge. And I, I kind of have decided we do hard things because they need to be done. And you're going to see going forward that we're willing to make really hard decisions and do hard things because the, the history of this church, the people of this church, the kids of this church, the future generations of this church deserve a people that will do hard things so that their lives are easier. What was the king? Was it Hezekiah? He's about to die. God comes and says, hey, you're about to die. And he's like, wait, 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 wait. Can you just give me 10 more years? And if I'm remembering the story correct, forgive me, because I have to study because I get a lot of things in my head. He said that there will be trouble in, in his time. And he asked that there will be peace until he's gone, that his kids can deal with the trouble. And that's not a godly perspective in life. The Bible actually says for us to lay up an inheritance for our children's children, that we're supposed to have a hundred year vision in mind. Like, I, you know, I was challenged this week, and forgive me, I'll probably cry. I already am, sorry. I'm, I'm not sorry. I'm just going to wear a shirt that says, sorry, I cry a lot. <laughs> and we met this businessman from Australia, and he's a kingdom businessman, and they go in, and we'll, you'll, hopefully you'll meet him. Um, and they go into communities that are, that are the worst communities to live in, and they turn them around with a kingdom. They preach the gospel. They, they get kingdom business people to start businesses, and the, and the cities turn around and go Huntington, West Virginia, one of the worst places to live in the U.S. I think it was the bottom of the list, and in six years, he flipped it around with the work of this community. They flipped it around to where it's the best place to have a family and work now. Like, just, they do these things, and so we're sitting with him, and I, I got to tell him that I come from a history of, of pastors, and he's like, you have a Patterson dynasty. I was like, I've never thought of that before because that, that, I don't think like that. It's a, it's a Johnson and a Patterson dynasty that you carry. He goes, what will the Patterson dynasty look like in 100 years? I was like, I hadn't even really thought about that. He's like, what kind of spiritual wealth can you amass in the next 100 years for the Patterson dynasty? What kind of kingdom businesses can you, can you open, uh, be opened into and bring transformation in the next hundred years through your sons and your daughters? And so I want us to begin to think as a church, not about where we've been. That for us to, to, it's time for us to move past the where we've been and the trying to just get the ball rolling again. Have you ever have felt that? You're like, gosh, if we could just get the ball rolling, oh, it's so hard to get it going, right? I think we've got it going. The goal isn't for us to get the ball rolling, though. The goal is for us to roll it so fast that we can't keep up with it, that future generations have to keep up with it that we pass the baton to people that are beyond us, to sons and daughters we'll never meet, that they'll carry this weight of this kingdom on them. You know, I, I think all the time, I have three sons. I'm like, God, which one of them or all three of them are going into ministry? And then I balance that with not trying to press the issue, right? So I'm like, start a business. You can be a king, kingdom business person, right? There is a dynasty on our family. There's a dynasty in your family. You're like, well, I'm the first one. Good, you started a dynasty. 
And there are, there are sons and daughters and there are future generations that hinge on the hard things you do today to make things easier for them then. One of our presidents, I can't remember who it was, maybe it was Adams or, or one of those early presidents, said, if there must be war, may it be in my lifetime that my sons may know peace. That's what I want us to live like. That's the kind of, kind of servants of God I want us to be. If there has to be a battle, I'll fight the battle so that my sons can enjoy peace. I think he even went on to say, let us study war and economics and strategy so that our sons and daughters can study art and music. <sighs> they may create something instead of fight something. We have a generation that we're responsible for now and one coming after us that we've created some messes for them that it's time for us as kingdom people to clean up. It's time for us to remember the God of our youth it's time for us to remember that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's not just a friend. And that if he's Lord, it affects every decision that I make in life. That if he's Lord, it affects the way that I look at every situation. That I am not afforded the luxury of looking at things from a place of poverty. We are not afforded the luxury of saying, I'll pass that on. And, and Josiah is better equipped than me to handle that. Shame on me if I think that way. You feel the weight of this. This is where we're at as Fire Life Church. And when we, went to the, when we went to the conference, Mark and Amber said something really specific. They're like, bring something back. And they weren't talking about like gifts or anything. They're like, bring back something from Bethel and bring it here. And I think that we have. And there's been something stirring uh, inside of us, like uh, there's a confidence, there's a, a shift in my default yeah, come on. <laughs> to where I, I, I feel like to whom much is given, much is required. And I'm not just a mess cleaner, yeah. upper. <laughs> I'm not just someone who paints walls. I'm not just someone who will roll their sleeves up and will do the dirty stuff. There's something inside of me, and I want to lead our church into it. There's a shift that's taking place. There is a, I, I, I've been, I've changed the way I, my greetings and my emails, and at the end it says, with growing hope, because that's how I feel. With growing hope, that's how I feel. How many of you are feeling that? Like, maybe right now you've felt an influx of hope. With growing hope, like, you know, I'm not concerned about the future because the future is going to be put in good hands. Our kids were raised for a time like this. But there's work for us to do. And in Mark chapter 8, I, I'm not going to read that. I'll read other parts of Scripture. But in Mark chapter 8, he says that whoever tries to save their life will what? Lose it. Will lose it. Now, I don't like to talk bad about the church. I love the church. Like, you know, like I say, if you talk bad about my bride, we're going to have problems. I don't care how big you are. You may, you may destroy me, but it'll be the best beating up of my life because I stood up for my wife. So I don't like to talk bad about the church. I don't like to find fault with the church and blame the church. But that doesn't mean that, that we just get a pass all the time. Like there is a new responsibility coming to us to return to our first love. 
to do the things we did at first. I remember when my, <laughs> I, I remember exactly where I was when everything shifted for me again for the final, like this is the final, all caps, yes. Like I was all in, all in. I don't have many chips, but with the ones I have, they're all in, right? That's how I felt. I remember that moment. And I remember saying, God, I'll do anything to be right with you. I'll do anything to be free. I'll do anything to be a different person. It's like that wrestling with the Lord. Like Jacob wrestled with the Lord all night long. Think about that for a moment. That stubborn guy, he wrestled with God himself all night and would not relent, would not let go until God blessed him and changed his name. He didn't want to be called liar, cheater, supplanter. He didn't want to be known by his identity anymore. And he had that moment where he's like, I want to be different. And he wrestled with God. He even sent everyone else across the river. He sent his wife, his family. He sent everyone across the river. So he was literally isolated on this side of the river with God and wrestled with him until God changed him and gave him a new name and says, I no longer call you Jacob. I call you Israel because you have fought, you have wrestled, you have contended with God and you've prevailed. You get the thing you ask for. And the Bible says that God smote his hip and from then on the rest of his life he walked with a limp. Why? So that he wouldn't forget the promises that he made in that wrestling time. And I, I don't know how this happens or what this looks like for us today, but I pray that today would be like that moment where God slaps us on the hip and we walk differently from now on and we can't forget the promises that we made to him in our youth, the promises we made to him in our adulthood, the promises we made to him even today. Yeah. That we won't forget that we said we'll do anything to be right with you. We'll do anything to be different people. We'll do anything for this community to look different. We'll do anything that the thousands of Hindus across the street will come to know that Jesus is the son of God. We'll do anything. The Bible says it's better to not make a promise and covenant with God than to make one and break it. I don't think the moral of that scripture is for us to not make promises. I think it's for us to be really, really confident that we mean what we say we're going to. When we say we're going to do something, we really mean it. That we pause and we think really carefully. God is calling us. Come on, how many feel it? How many feel a call of God on your life? I, I, if it's business, if it's ministry, if it's just being a great dad, a great mom, like you are called to something. And it's not just to get through the week. And it's not just for us to come here on a Sunday and really enjoy our time together. Let me, let me just ask this. How many of you enjoy coming to church here? Like it just... I do. I, I said it this way. I was meeting with some people. I was like, I don't care. If I wasn't the pastor, this is where I'd want to be. Like, I just like being around you. And something sweet happens when we begin to worship together. It's not, not to compare. It's not like that everywhere else. There's just something that happens. Like there's, there's a presence of the Lord that comes in the room. There's an affinity for him that stirs us all. And it's like, And I love what God's doing here. 
but he wants us to grow. He wants us to expand our influence, whatever that ends up looking like. I just want to say yes to it. I don't care. I just know there's a mandate on this house. We are carrying the history of four churches. We are carrying the history of the Assembly of God Tabernacle, which, beca- which became the Tabernacle, which became Family Worship Center, which became More to Life, which is now Fire Life. I hope I got all the names in there. We are carrying the history of First Assembly of God in Irving. Did you know that? Years ago, First Assembly was closing down and they, we merged with First Assembly. Some of you were here when that happened. Brother Anderson passed away. We, we sold the property. Like did, something amazing happened there. You are also carrying the Bridge Church and Sure Foundation Fellowship. And then we're a whole new church as well. I mean, we're pulling all this history with us. And most of those churches are 50, 60, 70 years old. And they carry on them prophetic calls and mandates on them that we cannot escape. So when you say you go to Fire Life Church, you're carrying a mandate that's different. (laughs) Here's where I want to go. Just just talk today, right? but whoever loses their life whoever surrenders their life for my sake Mark chapter 8 27 through 38 whoever loses their life for my sake will what? will find it We'll find what? Life. And life abundantly, Jesus said. Yeah, you know the thief, that guy? He comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. Like, you've heard what he does. But Jesus says, I come in a different spirit. And I came that you would have life, real life, true life. And not just life, but life so full that it overflows into abundance. You measure fullness by overflow, not by, like this bottle looks full, but it's not. Those bags of chips they sell us, they ain't full. We all know it. They're not fooling anyone. They're getting more and more air in them as I get older. They're not full. The only way something is full is when it overflows and it affects the things around them. I think many of us would say that we feel like we're, we're full with God, like we're, we're in the fullness of God. And I would say the only way we know that is true is if we are overflowing and leaking around us. Because if, if it doesn't splash on other people, if it doesn't affect the place that we work, if it doesn't affect the way we handle our finances, if it doesn't affect the way we treat people, then it's not overflow. I'm preaching to me. I want to tell on myself. This is like the truth serum place right here. So I'm a, I'm a mouthy person. You're like, no way. I can be a mouthy person in a competitive atmosphere. 
no way. Like, dude, especially if there's injustice. And I can get really like, uh-uh, no, I don't, I don't care who you are, how many there are, we're, that's not okay. I can get that way. And that's been dying in me. As a coaching soccer is not the best place to try that out because you think soccer is this nice, sweet sport, man. It ain't. It's ruthless. I mean, I've, I've walked out on the field with coaches like, hey, you want to go right here? Let's go. <laughs> I ain't scared of you. You throw the first punch, though, right? So that I can say it was self-defense because I ain't going to jail for you. <laughs> <laughs> you better get me good, buddy. <laughs> I'm telling the truth. My wife will tell you. We've had many through the years, and I was so embarrassing. There's a word for me with long ears, like almost like a horse, but not a horse with long ears. Like, <laughs> yeah. And that's been dying, and I've been really proud. Like, man, good job. I'm at a soccer game yesterday that was one of the craziest atmospheres I've been. It was like a hockey game, but soccer. And it was rough, and our kids were getting beat up. I'm talking, like, not just fouling, like, beat up. And we have some moms on our team that are, they ain't putting up with it. We got some Latinas on our team, and they ain't putting up with nothing from nobody. And I was like, so y'all, whenever y'all get in a fight later, all the ladies are going to handle this, and we're just going to chill. <laughs> I didn't say a word. I didn't say a word. I sat there with my mouth shut. My mom was there. I was like, Mom, you be my witness. <laughs> I have been really good. Really good. She's like, yeah, you have. I got a headache from all the yelling, and I didn't say a word, and parents start going back and forth, and it's just, and they needed some male presence, and I was like, no, I'm just going to just be quiet. I kept my mouth shut. I was proud of myself. I go to the restroom, and one of the nice guys from the other team, the father, was there, and he wanted to mouth to me, and I just didn't say a word. I obeyed the restroom rules for men, right? You just look ahead and don't talk. <laughs> Don't talk to me right now, man. It's not okay. I kept my mouth shut. I didn't even respond to him. And I was so proud. And I come home and I tell Mandy how proud I am. And I did so good. And the Lord told me in the restroom, you did so good. Don't run it right now. In here, I was like, good. And I didn't. And I went home and I felt like, yeah, Jesus is working in Jared. Come on. Woo. And so when I get home and when I'm telling Mandy the story, I call some of the parents' names. Not like curse names, but just names. You know, like almost curse, but not curse names. Like, man, they were being really terrible. And, and the Lord says, you almost made it. Come on. <laughs> you almost did it. You almost kept your stupid mouth shut. And you just cursed them. And it's not okay anymore. So I got work to do. There's overflow that needs to happen in my life. There's room that needs to be made. It's, it's foolish. It's, it sounds like a stupid example, but it's a, it's a big deal because if, my, if I'm a minister of the gospel, and if I am supposed to speak the words of the gospel, then I have to be really careful with what I say. Because my words carry weight. 
and my tongue is the biggest problem I have. And here's why I told that. Because the Bible says, look at the tongue. It's such a small member of the body, yet it turns nations. It says, if you can bridle your tongue, then you can rule cities. And I want to rule cities. Now, I want to start right here. I want to rule my family, and I want to rule this church, and I want to rule this city that we're planted in. And it means I have to keep a tight rein on my tongue. And in so many other areas, I do, so, I do such a good job. And then I get so almost to the end. And he's like, oh, you blew it. You almost made it. I was like, well, Mandy's a safe place. No, your words carry more than you know they carry. And I told you to bless and not curse. Why am I saying this? Because I don't see Fire Life Church's 50 to 80 people. I don't even know how many people we have. We don't count. I don't see us as that. I see us as planted in a in Las Colinas. Do you realize where our church is? We're planted here for a reason. We are surrounded by people that don't know Jesus. And then not only that, we are planted in the business capital of Texas, actually the business capital of the United States. 243 of the 500 Fortune 500 companies are located here in Irving, Texas, Las Colinas. Almost half have headquarters here. You're like, well, what does that, what does that matter? Because if I can rule my tongue, we can have influence with businesses that have influence with nations. I'm telling you, there's, there's, there's a shift happening to, to Fire Life Church. And I wanted to tell you about it before it happens. It's not accidental and it's not, I'm going to just talk, tell the truth. It's not lack of stewardship. It's not accidental that half of this property is not developed. It's a blank slate. It's a blank slate. And God has given us the opportunity and there will be, will be chances and doors opening in the future and I'm not just talking about so Fire Life Church can grow. I'm talking about changing the community. Changing the crime rates. I'm emptying out the mosques. They just don't know how good God is. They don't know. And, and sometimes the greatest sermon we preach is just prattling our tongue. And it will do something in the atmosphere. I've, I have felt a shift. Like, uh, and I feel like this is not just for me. I feel like as we bridle our tongue, as we're careful with the things that we say, then God will give us greater authority. Because he can trust us. It's like, man, if you can bridle your tongue, I can trust you with cities that the kingdoms of this world may become the kingdoms of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. This is not about churches. See, the church is one mountain. There's six other mountains. There's education. There's, there's uh, uh, entertainment. There's politics. There's business. There's, 
something else, the arts. There's seven of these mountains. The church is just one, and we focus so much on the one that we have to overflow into the other six. Is this making any sense? Why, why, I didn't, this isn't even my sermon. Like, I just feel like there's a mandate for this house that I'm asking for you to, to shift with me. To make the shift. So what does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? He's the boss. He's the boss. I've shared this dozens of times. Some of you are probably sick of hearing it. But years ago, I don't even know how many years ago, 10 or 12, maybe more, I got a phrase stuck in my head. Sometimes that's how God talks to me. He'll, it's like he knows I, I need it repeated a lot of times. So he'll get a phrase. It's either as I'm falling asleep or as I'm waking up, and I'll get a phrase in my head. And this one was, yes, sir, is a military term to be used in times of warfare. What does that even mean? Did I see that on a show? Like, and it, I couldn't get it out of my head. I did the Etch-A-Sketch. I did everything to try to clear my brain, and it wouldn't. And it, it was God announcing to me the shift that needs to take place in my surrendering to his authority, and that, it, it's, that I don't have to question everything. That's actually okay, and it's actually honorable for me to just say, yes, sir, because he's trustworthy. How many think God's trustworthy? So would he ever ask us or give us a command that wasn't for our benefit? Don't touch that fruit. You can have all the fruit you want, not that one. It was for their benefit. It was for all mankind's benefit. Hey, you're leaving the garden. You can't go back in there. Man, that's mean. Kicking me out of my home. You evicted us. No, it was for our benefit that we didn't partake of eternal life in a fallen state because then it was done. He protected us from ourselves. God can be trusted. The things he's telling you, those little still small voice moments where he says, do this thing or don't do this thing, you can trust him. You don't have to consider all the different things. You don't have to figure it all out. You don't have to question it. Just say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He can be trusted. Amen? (laughs) Come on. Last thing, and we're going to all come, and we're going to pray, and we're going to shift kind of how we do this. I'm going to make a call, and we're all coming up here to pray. This is is for everyone. You're like, ah, I'm okay. (laughs) Don't make us come back there. I'm playing. Uh, what, so what I feel we also brought back from our experience with Bethel was fear and self-preservation cannot be allowed to be in our culture. And I'll preach this properly some other time, but fear causes us to react the wrong way. something that causes fear to rise up inside of us, this, this impulse, and it's, 
the reason that it's introduced is to move us a specific direction. Did you know that? That all fear that isn't godly fear, that isn't the fear of the Lord, all fear that comes into our life that's from the enemy, all that fear, the purpose that it was sent for was to move us. And the result of that fear moving us is now that I'm here, I don't have a Lord anymore. When I was here, obedient, I had a Lord who was God. He was my Lord. Jesus was my Lord. When I allow fear to move me away from trust in him, then now I need a Lord, and the only person that's going to be Lord is me. So the result of that fear moving me is now I have to preserve myself because I don't have a preserver anymore. And in that state of fear and self-preservation is when we harm ourselves, when we make decisions that aren't good for our families, when we make bad decisions about business, when we do stupid things out of self-preservation because the thought is, I don't have anyone to look out for me. I have to look out for myself. And it all comes from fear. And we've said this many times. I'm going to say it one more time. But Chris Vallotton says that fear has become the most socially acceptable sin in the church. And it is by far the number one sin we need to deal with. Because if God is love and fear is the opposite of God's love, then when we fear, we are not experiencing his love. Simple and plain. If perfect love drives out all fear then fear drives out all love. Yes, it does. So the point today is God is calling us back to a place of decision. Like the Bible called it a valley of decision. Do the things you did at first. Don't let fear move you into self-preservation. Don't let fear cause you to react and in your own wisdom create a world that's not even real. Adam, Adam and Eve sinned, they immediately felt fear. Immediately. We were afraid because we were naked. So we hid, and because we're now our Lord, we had to find something to wear. So we fashioned for ourselves clothes. And God comes in and restores them and says, yeah, those clothes aren't good enough. And it says in Genesis 3 that God himself made new clothing for them because he was their Lord again. And today, God wants to be your Lord. He wants to be my Lord. Would you stand up? And actually, I'm going to ask you just to come to the front. We are going to, first, we're going to repent for being fearful if we have been. If you haven't been fearful, then, then don't. Don't do this. But if you have been fearful in any area, whether it's with relationships, whether it's with business, finance, whether it's health, whether it's, I don't know if people are going to take care of this the way I would take care of it. Like all this stuff comes up, right? This fear. 
and we want to repent of it right now. Father, we come to you, and God, I ask for you to forgive me for allowing fear to come into my life. Fear is the enemy. Fear is a lie. Hmm. I'm going to not pray in the mic because I want you to pray. 